Welcome on in. You know where you are. It's the Who Day Den. Of course it is. You're the one who clicked play. Anyways, we're here kind of wrapping up our bye week conversation. I would guess technically the bye week's over and we're now in Raiders week. But as I mentioned, we we looked back at the first half of the season with Jeremy Rowe. If you missed that episode, really enjoyed that conversation. Give that one a listen. And today, as promised, we get to look forward to the second half of the season. And I always say I enjoy the conversations, but I really did enjoy this conversation uh, with Mike Pedralia. We'll introduce him here shortly. But we looked at the defense and kind of wondering whether what we've seen the last couple games is what we can expect to see going forward. Was it a a blip in the radar type of thing? We look at the offense and talk about what right guard looks like. What's Chris Evans role going forward? There's lots of things to look forward to. Uh, And we go through the schedule as well. You'll see Mike is a little more optimistic when it comes to maybe final win loss than I am. But regardless, it was a, a great conversation. You can take a listen right now. Today, I'm joined by Mike Petralia, a.k.a. Trags. He covers the Bengals for CLNS Media. He hosts a Jungle World podcast. Most recently, I think uh, Lindsey Patterson was your most recent guest that on there. That is correct. Yep. And in a past life, you covered the New England Patriots. So you are familiar with what a winning franchise looks like. <laughs> Lucky you. But now you're covering the Bengals. How's that transition been for you? It's been a lot of fun. I really, uh, Taylor, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm from Cincinnati, went to Indian Hill High School, graduated way back in the mid 80s and uh, have kept a lot of friends and family uh, in terms of connections here in uh, the Southwest Ohio area. And I've always had an eye on returning and I had the opportunity in the middle of a pandemic to do so. So that's what I decided to do uh, last October, said goodbye to my friends uh, up in New England and made the move out here to uh, Southwest Ohio. Took a year to make the transition, get settled here. And last year was a throwaway, Taylor, right? I mean, because you really couldn't cover the games per se. You could cover them. You could cover the home games, but there was no point in being in the stadium because everything was Zoom calls. Exactly. So, uh, but this year I decided in the spring to really get things going now that things were opening up a little bit and uh, decided to cover the team, start a podcast, and it's been great ever since. Well, welcome back. It's it's funny you mentioned, obviously, we all know everything's different uh, post-COVID and all that, but I was just watching the Bengals' uh, Twitter account tweeted out the top 10 plays of the first half of the season so far, so I was watching that video, and I legitimately was getting chills on some of those home calls where the fans are roaring, and I'm like, man, you missed that last year. Like, the big plays, you can celebrate them at home, but it's different when you've got that crowd noise. I'm glad that this season at least resembles somewhat of a normal season, I mean, both from a fan standpoint, but I'm sure from a media standpoint, some things are different, but uh, a little bit closer to to norm. Certainly the players, Taylor, uh, appreciate having the fans back. I think they appreciate it more than anybody else. And that's understandable because the energy that they draw upon uh, during home games, especially the Bengals, when their fans are really behind them, is significant. And they played like it this year on many occasions, even in the loss to Green Bay. They played a good game that game, and the crowd was behind them. The Cleveland game was a disaster, um, and 
you know, that was a disaster from the moment uh, that um, the pick six uh, was completed. Denzel Ward stepping in front of uh, Jamar Chase and going 99 yards. That kind of took the air out of the balloon. And even when the Bengals came back and tied it at seven, it just seemed like a gut punch. But for the most part this year, um, I'd say the crowd has had plenty, plenty to cheer about. Yeah. And, and I, this was not on the show sheet, but I just thought of this question. So we don't have to spend a ton of time here, but having covered the Patriots for a number of years, Mm -hmm. I, do you see any similarities between the Tom Brady and Joe Burrow? Not necessarily just from the, not necessarily just from a talent perspective, but from the leadership and cause from a Bengals fan perspective, Joe Burrow leading your team feels much different than Andy Dalton leading your team. It is, <laughs> but we can't really say that it feels like Tom Brady or feels like Joe Montana. Cause we haven't experienced those. You having experienced kind of covering a team that's led by a presence like Tom Brady. Do you get any sort of those vibes from a Joe Burrow led quarterback team? I do, and the word I would use, uh, Taylor, is expectations. Mm-hmm. And I think Joe Burrow, you can see him starting to get on players on the sideline. You saw it in the, I believe it was, actually, yeah, it was the, actually, the Jet game uh, at MetLife Stadium when C.J. Uzama and I believe Tyler Boyd were in the same area on a split route in the end zone, and, he, and Burrow throws his hands up in the air in disgust and comes over to the bench, talks to them both, and that's where you start to see the Tom Brady-esque leadership of Joe Burrow. And I think that's a very good thing. Now, when you ask if we ever saw that intensity from Brady in the press conferences, per se, or in the locker room, no, not really, because Brady was a robot. He was a smiling robot. That's what Tom Brady was to the media. And the reason for that is that Bill Belichick, way back in the 2000s, I want to say his rookie year, maybe his second year, 2000, 2001, insisted upon Tom, don't ever give the media anything. And then he, you know, applied that to the rest of the team as well. And his staff, don't ever give the media anything. And that dates back to Belichick's days with the Cleveland Browns. And that is what Brady really embraced. He never gave the, 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 uh, media really anything that they could grasp uh and and really carry with and the the two exceptions to that would probably be i don't know if you remember this but before one sunday night game he said i hope our fans all get lubed up and show uh show up at the stadium ready to go that was one because everybody in new england uh, all the media and um, those who thought that Brady was encouraging alcoholism got all over Tom for <laughs> using the words lubed up. Okay. He was joking. He was, he, uh, everybody goes to a game tailgates and that's what, uh, Brady's, um, point was, is that new England fans had grown accustomed to winning so much that they were sitting on their stands, uh, sitting on their hands in the seats and not getting into the game. And Gillette for years has not been uh, a true home field advantage in terms of crowd intimidation. Now, the Patriots have played incredibly well at Gillette Stadium. They had have one of the best home records, but it wasn't necessarily because of the fans. And that was Brady's way of saying, we need our fans to be a factor. Point number two was Deflategate. And that's when he looked the most unsure in dealing with the media. He was very unsure about how he should answer these questions, how um, deflating the balls would be 
interpreted by the media who really didn't know all the rules about what quarterbacks were allowed actually to do to the footballs, which included deflating them, just not five minutes before a game and not below a certain minimum. Uh, That's one thing. By the way, I'm going to ramble here. That is one pet peeve of mine during that whole scandal to Plategate. That started with the uh, 2014 AFC Championship uh, with the Colts, is that people did not understand and still don't to this day that you are allowed to inflate or deflate the footballs within a range to your liking as a quarterback. And you get those set of balls to play with when you're on offense. But what happened with Brady was the, the crew, his ball boys, did not get to the balls in time. They broke into the officials' room, supposedly, um, after the the balls had been submitted to the game officials for uh, play and had them deflate them at that point. That was the illegal part of all of it, and that's what the Patriots should have been punished for. But people got lost in this whole, well, he deflated the footballs. Well, yeah, you're allowed to deflate the footballs. And Tom didn't know how to express that without getting his own people, the people who had handled the footballs, in trouble. So he just kind of denied, deflected, denied, deflected, and it became this absolute crap show. And, you know, it was a nightmare for almost three years until it finally ended in 2016. So even even so, though, if that's your worst controversy with your, I mean, it, it, like you said, it did drag on and it did kind of tarnish that team from the outside people uh hating on the patriots then another reason to hate them but if that's your worst scandal and the things we've seen from players in the nfl especially over the last month and some of these things uh areas including a team we're playing this week um you know that's (laughs) not terrible hopefully joe burrow avoids all controversy and i think you know and that's a great point taylor i think he will and he's been exposed to uh, like brady was at michigan he's been exposed to a, a and incredibly intense college football environment at LSU playing in the SEC playing Alabama Georgia Florida Um, he knows what playing in big time programs with a hundred thousand people in the stadium means and uh, I think he's going to be able to handle whatever he gets thrown his way in Cincinnati and I got to tell you um, short of you know any tragedy happening with the Bengals god forbid and we've seen that before um, you know, I don't think he's going to be under the microscope quite the way Brady was in New England. Well, hopefully, and in some ways, I hope he is because I feel that like... would mean winning. <laughs> yes, yes, winning. <laughs> in some ways, I feel like Brady became the easy guy to hate because it's like everyone is so tired of the winning. And maybe someday I can dream about other fans of other teams hating us because we win so much. But right now, we've got a team that's sitting around 500 at five and four we're now coming out of the bye week and a big stretch of games coming up and it feels like when you look at this team overall we've got two units heading in opposite directions with the offense trending upward more or less they scored 30 plus in three straight games before the debacle in cleveland and really in that first quarter in cleveland they moved the ball very well very well for the first quarter (laughs) and then the pick six and, and things kind of unraveled and on the other side the defense is kind of trending downward again it's just really the last two games where it's gotten ugly they've given up 75 points in those last two games they've kind of looked vulnerable unfocused things that we didn't really see not tackling well (laughs) yeah that's Um, been the biggest problem yeah taylor and that's what i hate 
I actually hate that that's a problem, but it's also kind of, I guess, you know, it depends on how you look at it. But in one way, there's no, like the, I mentioned in a previous podcast episode is that the bye week is good and it's, but it's not necessarily, oh, we got to get healthy on defense to get better. Or we've got to like, you got to tackle better. So unless you're doing a bunch of tackling drills and practice, which I'm guessing you're not in the mid season, these are just going to be players needing to go out and execute and make, make the easy plays to, to improve this defense. Uh, but and yeah. I think they're capable of doing that, Taylor. I, I am not going to give up on this team just because of two bad games. I think they have – I actually think Lou Anarumo is having a very good year, uh, even you know, with the last 67 minute game, uh, minutes of game action aside. I think they're doing very well. I think they're using their personnel in a more aggressive way than they have in years past. I think they need to get back to that a little bit against Derek Carr and the Raiders this week, and I think they're going to do that. Yeah, and in coming up against the Raiders, it'll be the first kind of kickoff of the second half of the season here. And we got the news that Akeem Davis Gaither probably done for the season, uh, arguably our most athletic linebacker. We already lost Jordan Evans earlier this year. Uh, Trey Waynes has had his health issues. So I wouldn't say that the team has you know, been completely devoid of any injuries, but we've really avoided having uh, the star players on the team miss significant time. But there are still some key injuries here. And do you think any of the pieces that we've acquired lately over the last few weeks, we've we've gotten Trey Flowers, Vernon Hargraves, Marcus Bailey's now going to be thrust into a larger role uh, with Davis Gaither out. Do you think any of those guys are going to be in a position to make an impact in the second half? Or do you think they remain really just depth pieces? I'm curious to see this week during practice and what um, Zach Taylor says uh, after walkthrough on Friday, how much progress Trey Flowers and uh, Vernon Hargraves have made. Because what we have seen from Eli Apple just isn't good. I mean, no. <laughs> he, look, Lou Anarumo tried to stick up for Eli Apple uh, giving up that 60-yard bomb to uh, Peoples-Jones uh, in, in the Browns game. Uh, it was just he got beat on a pattern you couldn't get beat deep on with not enough safety help over the top. Yes, they were supposed to be in quarters. They didn't play that way. Uh, but all in all, when you have a breakdown like that, you need your cornerback to at least be in the same area code, and he just wasn't. And uh, and we've seen this t time and time again where uh, Eli Apple gets beat over and over, and you can't afford that as you go later in the season, especially against some of the high – profile passing attacks, including the one you're going to see this weekend. Derek Carr is not a joke when it comes to throwing the football. He can throw it long and throw it accurately. Um, I think they've got to make a move on Eli Apple. I think if you use him as a nickelback, you use him on situation uh, in different situations, nickels and dime. Um, the defense is great, but I don't think he can be your starting left cornerback anymore. And I think you've got to find out if either Hargraves, uh, another number one pick out of Florida, or um, Trey Flowers, a very tall, rangy cornerback, by the way, six foot three, and uh, really uh, can provide some length in terms of coverage if his feet can keep up. I think uh, it would be, um, who is it I just mentioned? Um, Trey Flowers, thank you. Uh, it would be Trey Flowers who gets the nod over Hargraves just because he's been in the system a little bit longer. I will hedge my bet on that a little bit in that um, Flowers might be somebody that they want to put in the slot 
more and play inside, though he does have experience playing on the outside and inside, but he's a really good tackler. Which maybe it all becomes a moot point if Trey Waynes ever gets back to full health. But it's one of those things where I'm afraid to to bank on that. And even so, how much Trey Waynes have we really seen, right? We didn't see him at all last year. And then this year we've seen him very, very limited amount. So I would hope that Trey Waynes is an improvement over Eli Apple and is better than Hargraves and Trey Flowers. But I don't know that for sure. So I guess that's a good position to have depth at. And I don't know what your thoughts are on Marcus Bailey. I will I will say honestly, I haven't, you know, gone deep enough into into his body of work so far in his career. Uh, do you have concerns about the Davis Gaither injury and Bailey being thrust into that role the way he's going to be alongside Logan Wilson? Ask me that question after he tries to cover <laughs> running backs and tight ends in the flat. Yeah. Ask and, me that question. And if he can now. make tackles, I think we'll all be happy, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, and seriously, I mean, you know, I, I, I know I answered that flippantly, but if the guy can prove that he can cover in space, then he's your guy and just go with it and uh, expect other players on the defense, like I'm sure they do, to step up and make bigger plays. I mean, look, the Bengals' defense, the, one of the reasons that they were a top five, top ten defense in the first seven weeks of the season is they played together on a string. And what that means is they they did a great job of converging to the ball, uh, very few cases of them being grossly out of position. And if one guy loses, like let's say um, – Akeem Davis Gaither loses a a running back out of the flat. There was somebody there to pick him up and and uh, swarm to the ball and make the play. That's what we did not see in the last seven minutes of the Jet game. Really, in all fairness, we didn't see that at all in the Jet game because they missed tackles and allowed Mike White to look like you know Roger Stallback or Joe Namath, as I tweeted. Uh, and we didn't see that uh, in the Browns game. So uh, that's something I think they've got to shore up. They've got to take do a better job of not necessarily taking away the short pass, the checkdowns, but tackling when the, the completions are made. And that's something they did not do uh, in the Jets and Browns game. Well, I have to thank you because you obviously listened to my episode uh, a couple of weeks ago because I, I talked about that same exact thing about how this defense, really that's their biggest difference is, is the tackling because all year long we've given up seven yard completions on third and 10. We've done that all year long. The difference was we were making the tackles. As soon as someone was catching the ball, you're making the tackle. If the running back catches the ball, you make the tackle after a two yard gain. And and all of a sudden now it's turning into a missed tackle now makes that a 10 yard gain or a 15 yard gain. And, and we we've kind of lived through the Eli Apple. I'm I'm sorry. I'm picking on Eli Apple. He's not the only one. Well, that's been I burned, mean, look. But... <laughs> I mean, there are going to be people, and and we hear the same thing uh, certainly from the coaches who get on reporters for picking on a particular player when it's obvious they're trying to keep prop up the the player's confidence, right? But we can all see the misplays of Eli yes. Apple. Thankfully, I mean, that's not my job to prop him up because I don't think I'd be very good at it. <laughs> well, and and that's why these coaches when they speak with the media, they uh, you know, they have to be considerate of that because they don't want to kill a player if they need him down the down the stretch at the end of the season they want the guy's confidence like hey look we have always had confidence in you we just need you to start playing a little bit more up to that confidence level and and legitimize the confidence that that we have in you but if you're the coaching staff you're not going to kill the player that doesn't help anybody but if we're in the media and we see something and we're paid to offer our informed opinions based on what we're watching closely then it's pretty 
clear that uh, Eli Apple has not had uh, a good first half of the season. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and when I talked with Jeremy Rao in the last episode, we kind of did a recap of the first half of the season and talked through the defensive most valuable player so far. Is it Hendrickson? Is it a Wozie? Logan Wilson's had his moments. Is it one of those three guys that you think is the most important player on defense going forward? Is it somebody else that we've mentioned or not mentioned that's going to kind of determine whether this defense is as a success going forward or not? I think Jesse Bates is going to be the guy that you you want to look at going forward for the rest of the year because he made a point to me yesterday on the conference on the Zoom call that we've I've got to be better and I kind of let the distractions uh, of my contract get in the way mentally of my focus in the first couple of weeks of the year and he was incredibly honest with all of us he How made that thing was that <laughs> it was just great and it was an indication much like cj uzama on the offensive side of the ball who also spoke on zoom on monday um he he said that jesse bates said that to all of us on the on in the media on the zoom call and it was just he's incredibly self-aware that yes um I'm a captain. I'm a leader on this team. I've got to be better, and I will be better in the second half. I've got to uh, do a better job of covering my man, making more tackles, picking off passes when they're there to be picked off. And I think it was very, like you said, very refreshing, but also a sign that um, they're willing to step up, be accountable to each other. And I look for Jesse Bates to be a much more productive defensive player and kind of play up to his um, his preseason hype, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, given what was expected of him as a team captain coming into 2021. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I thought that our defense was playing so well. Granted, it was mostly a collective unit uh, effort early in the season. But the fact that our defense was performing fairly well when Jesse Bates arguably your most talented player on defense hadn't really, I mean, I, he hasn't been atrocious, but he has not been the Jesse Bates that we Correct. expected. They need him expected. to be a playmaker. Mm -hmm. Well, he's a free safety and on a, an aggressive team, he needs to be more of a playmaker. And I think he knows that. I mean, there have been a couple of times, look, I mean, he was a playmaker, certainly in the opening game of the season against Minnesota, help force that fumble on Dalvin cook mm -hmm. um, that uh, Jermaine Pratt recovered and Jermaine Pratt also had a play on that on that same or made a play on that same uh, play that uh, forced the turnover. But um, the, Jesse Bates needs more of those plays. He needs more plays on the ball, as we say. And if he can make more plays on the ball, forcing turnovers, forcing interceptions, forcing incompletions, pass def passes defended, that's what he's talking about. Absolutely. And on the offensive side of the ball, we talked a little bit about how the offense was kind of getting into a bit of a rhythm. They were turning up a little bit. Detroit, Baltimore, New York uh, against Cleveland. We saw it a little bit. They flashed this year. They flashed in some games, other games they have not done well. They've, they've really lacked consistency, it feels like. Do you think that this offense can find a rhythm in the second half of the season and really be counted on to consistently sniff 30 points a game because yes oh that's I do. good <laughs> I do that's good I'm, I was a little worried as I was looking through it the first half of the season it's been interesting that we don't expect necessarily the defense to struggle to the same extent it has the last couple of weeks but we saw earlier in the season while the offense was getting their feet underneath of them their legs underneath of them the defense was carrying us um 
for a great deal of those games, keeping it close enough. And that hasn't been the case the last couple of weeks where offense has carried our defense, right? We struggled a little bit against New York and unfortunately weren't able to outscore them. And then the defense was really struggling against Cleveland and the offense wasn't able to make up for it. So either the defense gets back to where it was and, and the offense can be inconsistent or the offense has got to get a little bit better. But you Do, seem confident. I like that. Uh, two, well, it's a conditional confidence, mm-hmm. but there are two things that absolutely positively have to improve. They have to be able to run the ball when teams expect them to run, i.e. third and short. And uh, it was C.J. Uzama making a point of this on the Monday Zoom, saying that offensive line coach Frank Pollock told them told everybody at practice on Monday that we have to be able to get Joe Mixon a yard, two yards. If we give him a gap, just one gap, we know he's going to get a yard or two, right? We'll give him just a little bit more than a gap, and he's going to get turn that one or two yards into three and four and four and five. And more to the point, more to C.J. Uzama and Frank Pollock's uh, point, is that if you start increasing that gap and increasing those yards downfield, eventually – you are going to get the explosive play. And the Bengals have not had an explosive running play. That's not true. They did have the the, uh, Mixon touchdown uh, and the Pirine touchdowns that you could consider explosive plays uh, in the Ravens game. But aside from those two plays, they haven't had nearly enough explosive plays um, this year on the ground. And they need more. And I think that's one point of emphasis. Got to be able to convert third and short. They're a horrific Uh, team in terms of uh, those teams in the playoff hunt on third and short you've got to be able to convert and when you think about the Jets game getting down there to the one yard line on the interception return and not right yeah I mean those are those are areas where you need like you said you need to be able to to trust your line to get enough push because we know Mixon with any push will get the necessary yardage and that not only that Taylor but if you're going to run the ball great just don't run it where there's no gap and the <laughs> Jets up have, the back of your lineman <laughs> and the Jets have one of the best. I mean, they don't do a lot of things. Well, the Jets, they do have a terrific um, defensive line, mm-hmm. a very good. So what are you, what are you doing running at the strength of the defense, run it to the outside, you know, do something creative where you get mixing into space and uh, run off tackle and, or run it out on the edge and get him into the end zone for one yard. You should be able to do that. It's just not that complicated. And to line up and say, well, we're just going to line it up and you know go nose to nose and strongest man wins. That's stupid. When you're, <laughs> when you're going up against uh, the strength of the other team, you just don't do that. You go up and try to manipulate their weakness, right? I mean, that's just simple game planning and play calling. And, and Joe uh, Mixon has been so good this year. So good this year that it would be nice to be able to, like you said, in those instances where he's not getting the art, it's not because he's doing something wrong. He's done a very good job finding the hole. He's, he's ran the wide zone fairly well. He does good in space. It's There's nothing there. So it well, really falls the back only on your thing line. the Bengals run well, and correct me if I'm wrong, okay, please <laughs> do, Taylor. But the only thing they do well in the run game is backside zone runs. Mm-hmm. That's it. I mean, you zone, you, you run off right or you run off left, you zone left, right or left, and then run off the backside of those blocks. And that's what the Bengals do. But 
you know, teams are picking up on that. They're like telling their linebackers, here's their zone scheme. Don't over pursue. Don't like even pursue. Stay right where you are and he'll come right back to you and you'll tackle him for, you know, a two or three yard game. But, you know, you won't allow the big, again, the big explosive plays. And the Bengals have to do a better job of that. And the other thing that the Bengals have to do, as I rambled on that answer. No, you're good. The other <laughs> I'm thing loving that, this conversation. The other thing the Bengals have to do, they have, and this falls on Joe Burrow, he has to be able to check down to his tight ends and running backs. There are huge, huge gaps in zones where teams are going to fall back and drop back because you're flooding them with Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and T Higgins. Well, the underneath is going to be open. And if you put Mixon or Chris Evans, and I know you have Evans here on the rundown. Yeah. If you put one of those guys in that flat or CJ Uzama in that flat, you're going to get 10 to 12 yards just by completing the pass. And they need, and Joe, and that's on Joe Burrow to do that, check down and get some significant yards, keep moving the chains. I just think the Bengals are too caught up on explosive plays to the outside, Joe Burrow throwing it up for Jamar. Jamar, go make a play. I, I hate that offensive play calling. And I mean, if I'm I not mistaken, it, but... if I'm not mistaken, that's what Kansas City was kind of struggling with. His teams adjusting to say, "We're going to make Patrick Mahomes. He's not going to take the easy throws. He's going to play hero ball. He's going to try to do a 360 throw at left hand. <laughs> he does right. some of those things, and he does it well sometimes. But finally, it's gotten to where." Uh, hopefully where, where Patrick Mahomes is more comfortable with hitting the, the lesser play instead of going for the 50-yard bomb to Tyreek Hill, check it down to your running back for eight or nine. And I agree that the, the offense, especially early in the season, felt like it was Jamar Chase explosive play or bust. If you don't get one of those on the drive, you're not moving the ball. It's Correct. gotten a little bit better. More, but And what's more demoralizing? One of those plays or five first downs mm -hmm on second and third down and you keep moving the sticks. Well, if you ask any defense, the more demoralizing is to see a team rack up five or six downs, five or six first downs on a long drive that ends in points and preferably if you're the Bengals um, touchdowns. And one, one area the Bengals actually are pretty good at is in the red zone and in goal to go uh, the jet game aside they have one of the better, they're in the, I believe, the top third in the NFL in red zone percentage. They were up at, uh, I believe, 67% going into the Cleveland game. That's one thing they've done pretty well this year, and they and need to continue to do that. The Cleveland game is where we saw back-to-back -back drives to start the game, 12 plays, or the first one was 12 plays, 75 yards. Obviously, we didn't get the points. The next one was 75-yard drive also. We had nine first downs in that first quarter. It's exactly what you're talking about, where you had two sustained drives where you were just wearing down that defense. They're not getting off the field. Unfortunately, you know, you didn't come away with 14 points there and we know how that game ended. But like you said, being able to sustain drives when the explosive play isn't there, take what's given to you. And, you know, I just watched that video of the top plays and and it was one I talked about last episode for my favorite play of the first half of the season was the Jamar Chase third and two slant against Marlon Humphrey where he didn't, you know, if this wasn't a 50 yard pass, it was a seven yard pass. And then you let your playmakers make plays. He breaks tackles and 80 yards later, you got a touchdown. Those right. are the types of things I would like, cause you've got playmakers. You're surrounded with Tyler Boyd, T Higgins. And to that point, I guess, do you think Tyler Boyd has a bigger role in the second half of the season? If Burrow's able to be able to accept the, the shorter, less sexy plays. I do. I think uh, they're, 
I think Joe Burrow knows that he needs to get Tyler Boyd more engaged in the offense. I think there were times, uh, there were certainly moments uh, in the Jet game where you saw Tyler Boyd uh, on that uh, last touchdown drive that made it 31-20, where Boyd was definitely involved. And not only the touchdown, but he had a couple of great catches on that drive and uh, had a couple of really good plays in that game overall. Uh, Against the Browns, he had a couple more plays. I think they're coming around on Tyler Boyd. T. Higgins has great hands. Yes, he had a, had the fumble against the Bears, which is, I think, one of the more underrated plays that gets overlooked in the first half of the season. If T. Higgins doesn't fumble that ball going across the middle, the Bengals come back and beat the Bears. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Zero. Yeah. And a, a team that they absolutely had no business losing to, they lost to. And the same with the Jets. The, the Jet loss and the Bears loss bother me much more than the loss to the uh, Browns and the Packers. Browns and the pa- Browns, you were beaten, right? Yep. The guy, you know, Denzel Ward makes a great game-changing play. Uh, the Browns kind of boat race you out of, out of your own stadium. Fine, that happens. I mean, it happened over the weekend uh, in other situations where the Browns got, you know, crushed by the Patriots. It happens. Mm-hmm. But the games you should win – against inferior rosters and you lose and you blow them, those are just unacceptable losses in, in my book. Those are, the, those are the games where the offense is, if you look back at the Jets and Bears games, those are the games where the offense screws up and the, the opposing team winds up scoring off your offensive screw-ups. Mm-hmm. That's what's got to stop. And, and part of that's on Burrow. Look, I mean, Burrow's had 20 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He's got to cut down on the interceptions. He knows that. Um, Brian Callahan knows that. Zach Taylor knows it. Uh, they've just got to execute and hold on to the ball and not make poor decisions, not make as many aggressive, irresponsible decisions, and do the checkdowns to the tight ends and the running backs, and you're going to see the team uh, do very well in the second half. And we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on on Chris Evans, but you mentioned checkdowns. Uh, and he seems like a wild card in this offense. It's just not getting a lot of use right now. I know he struggled with some injuries. When he touches the ball, though, he's been good. Uh, he's averaging 13 yards of reception, which is absolutely insane for a running back. We all remember the play in Detroit that he made. Do you think he's going to start seeing the ball, uh, the field more spelling mix in? Or, I mean, we've, I feel like we've seen Mixon get used more in the passing game, which is what we've all been asking for for years. Yep. <laughs> Do we think this is, this becomes really the Mixon show where they're just not taking off the field unless they have to? And then in that case, it's P. Ryan. No, I think they will spot Chris Evans. But I think what you're going to see with Chris Evans is you're going to see him on the field with Joe Mixon. I've been an Man, advocate I would of love this. That. Yeah, but I've been an advocate of this from the get-go, from training camp, for God's sakes. If you have Chris Evans and Joe Mixon on the field at the same time, how are you going to defend that? Mm-hmm. What you need to do, if you're an offensive coordinator, is put the defensive coordinator in as many situations of, uh-oh, what do we do? What are they doing? It's hard enough covering a guy like Joe Mixon and C.J. Uzama when they're on the field. What if Uzama... Evans and Mixon are on the field with Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase. What are you going to do? Yeah. What do you, and that, and that <laughs> is what you start to, you really need to start putting, that's what the chiefs do for God's sakes. That's mm-hmm. if, if you want to look at the chiefs and why they are so successful, they have 
one of the best tight ends in the in the modern era, right up right up there with Gronk, right up there with Tony Gonzalez uh, in Kelsey. They put Kelsey on the field. They put Tyreek Hill on the field. Uh, on the field, um, they've got um, McCole Hardman, right? Uh, who I I think is an incredibly underrated weapon in that offense. And uh, depending on how they manipulate their running backs, they've got a stable of running backs that they can use. They just put so much pressure on defenses to pick and choose who they're going to cover and how they're going to cover them. Yeah, and uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on with our offense as well was was the offensive line, and we talked about it a little bit before. I think the the line as a whole has been okay. Um, we've had some bumps in the I road. think the tackles have been okay. Yeah. I don't <laughs> yes. think the pass protection up the middle – uh, interior pass protection has been great. Yeah. And I think teams are going to isolate on Trey Hopkins, the center, and they're going to isolate on your right guard. Now, I do think that Akeem Adenogy has the potential to be their best option at right guard. And him with Quentin Spain, interior line, if they gel, that could be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I saw a poll the other day from um, somebody asking who do you want to start at right guard, and I don't care who starts who you know whoever's going to protect Burrow, create holes for Joe Mixon. I don't really care who it is. Um, if Adenjie is that guy, does that leave Jackson Carmen is just ba- basically backup duty the rest of the year? Yeah, do you sure. think Yeah, he's a rookie. He, this this should be his redshirt year in the NFL. There's no no problem with doing that um, until uh, Jackson Carmen can show more of a commitment to his conditioning. Uh, getting in shape, recording to training camp, ready to go, um, and taking some classes in nasty. They He needs to be filthy, nasty. And Quentin Spain should sit Jackson Carmen down if he hasn't already, and he probably has, and uh, tell him at one of those offensive lineman dinners that they have on Thursdays, I believe it is, tell him at one of those offensive lineman dinners, look, you need to get some serious you-know-what in you mm-hmm. uh, if you're going to play interior line in the National Football League. You have got to look the guy across the uh, across the line and say, I'm going to plant you on your ass every snap. And, and if you don't have that, you're not going to make it. And that message, if it's delivered in the right way by the right voice like a Quentin Spain, then um, I think Jackson Carmen can make it. But for now... I think we've seen enough from Jackson Carmen to make the judgment that he's not ready to be an everyday right guard. Which, like you said, is okay as a rookie if you have somebody else you can plug in that's performing well. Uh, you don't, you won't miss it as much. You okay. know, I think, I think Taylor that Duke Tobin, the director of player personnel for the Bengals, had a very good off season. I very much. Um, commend him for building the roster the way he did, especially on the defensive line. I think it was, I think he he had one of the best off seasons rebuilding the defense right there with the Patriots in rebuilding uh, the defense. I have no problem with that. Um, His big miss was not getting Joe Tooney and Mm -hmm. doing everything in his power to get Joe Tooney back in his, you know, home state, you know, and I think people know he's from Ohio and, you know, I think you could have brought him back here, but maybe Kansas City was just going to outspend you. But um, that was the big swing and miss to me is not addressing that interior offensive line, knowing what the what the issue was going to be coming into the season. 
Well, once upon a time in the offseason, I tweeted about uh, Tooney coming to Cincinnati, and his wife liked my tweet, so maybe I should have done more uh, out there. I don't know, <laughs> Taylor. Uh, maybe you didn't <laughs> do your that's part. That's on me. I'll, do, I'll, I'll work harder next offseason. Uh, you got to carry my... the ball across the goal line, you know. That's what the cliche <laughs> is. Yeah, I know my team needs me, so I'll work on that uh, this offseason. But it's, you know, I, I'm, I look at the second half of the season, and I'm – excited but also finding myself pretty nervous and i think perspective will be key for Bengals fans which it's going to be hard to convince fans to have perspective but i do think we're a year ahead of schedule sniffing the playoffs right I hate now that. No, 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 you no, don't no. like that i hate that no okay, you tell win me. you win when you have a chance to win well i'm not saying we don't want to win but i'm saying in my right. mind it was this was let's improve on six wins over the last three years or whatever it was two years that's spoken like a fan. I'm, so, I'm sorry, but as <laughs> you don't as, apologize, as somebody who has covered the Patriots, you, you don't look at building your roster like a fan. You look at building the roster to the best of your capability going into a particular season, and a season unfolds differently every year, especially in the National mm-hmm. Football League with injuries. Now with COVID, there's so many variables that can make a. a perennial cellar dweller i hate to say like the bengals but a perennial (laughs) cellar dweller um you know rise up and be competitive and you know that's what happened with the browns last year they got hot at the right time they finished the season strong and i don't know if that can happen again for cleveland this year the the bengals could be this year's browns and the way i look at the second half is has changed a little bit and i know you We'll wrap it up with this, but when I take a look now at the final eight games, the two games that are going to be difficult to win are the final two games to me. Like, I don't want to say impossible, but they're they're mm-hmm. the ones that I figure the Bengals to be the biggest underdogs. Home to Kansas City, which has found its mojo again, yep. and at Cleveland January 9th. Those two games, they're going to be big underdogs. The rest of those games, I think they're eminently winnable. I think at Ve- this weekend at Vegas, they should be able to score against uh, Gus Bradley's defense. Uh, home against Pittsburgh. If they don't have T.J. Watt, the Bengals should be able to win that game again. I don't care about the motivation of the Steelers uh, <laughs> after what Tyler Boyd said you know, about them quitting at the end of the game. Big Ben's September. still their quarterback, so. <laughs> yeah, but I think this defense can handle Big no, Ben. No, I'm, I'm saying, not... yeah, I'm saying that's in our favor. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It, Yes. Okay. I see where you're going with that. Uh, the Chargers, I mean, they just lost to the Vikings and lost pretty handily. The Niners are not the Niners of old. Um, I, I think the Bengals can beat the Niners. And those are three home games, Pittsburgh, Chargers, and San Francisco. At Denver, again, Denver just got boat raced by the Eagles at home. Enough said there. Baltimore is going to be difficult, um, but... You know, if the Bengals do what I think they can do, they'll have a five-game winning streak going into that Baltimore game. And I think the Bengals found out something about how to defend Lamar Jackson. And I liked what they did. I had thought they had a great game plan. Certainly Lou Anarumo's best game and and Zach Taylor's best game as a head coach was that game in Baltimore. I think they can beat Baltimore again, but the two games, home to Kansas City and at Cleveland. Good luck. Yeah, those la- I think we, you include Baltimore in there because, you know, it's a home game and it's still Lamar Jackson. But Baltimore, Casey, Cleveland to close out the season is so tough. That Baltimore's makes- defense is there for the taking. I will say that. I mean, mm-hmm. they lost to Miami 
I mean, I know it was in Miami, but <laughs> they scored 10 points against yes. Miami and Miami scored 22 points on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was a really weird last week in uh, the NFL actually it worked out well. Bengals by week, picking up some games in the standings, uh, but a big, a big stretch here. Cause you mentioned, you think there's potential for a five game winning streak. I think if you go four and one or five and zero oh in the stretch playoffs seem imminent, I think three and two puts you right around like a nine and eight type of finish, which is going to have you on the bubble. We'll see if that's. I don't enough. think nine and eight gets you in the playoffs. It might in the north though, if enough teams continue to lose. Sure. Um, I just you know I'm sure every Bengal fan was cursing that freaking Lions uh, kicker for missing that extra point. Uh yeah uh I I it was I was texting my friend during that game and I said I can't believe I just sat through this game because it was terrible football but i just wanted detroit to win so i kept watching uh well tracks thank you so much for joining me i appreciate your time uh and your insight here into the Bengals. uh so hopefully we hopefully we get to talk sometime again before the end of the season maybe playoffs who knows all right taylor i appreciate it it's been great being on with you we'll uh, do it down the road all right sounds good i told you it was a great conversation see i wasn't lying uh it is raiders week now though we are done talking about the past And generally looking forward, we now get to prepare for our next opponent, the Las Vegas Raiders. So we will have on our next episode a a member of the Raiders community to talk through their team. What matchups can we exploit? What matchups will the Raiders look to exploit? I don't know if you watched Vegas play the other night. Um, They were on Sunday night, I believe, against the Chiefs. I did watch some of that, not all of it, just to get an idea of what that team looks like right now. I think it's a very winnable game. I know a lot of Bengals fans think it is a must-win game. I'm not exactly sure I'm at the must-win stage yet, but it is a very big game that could decide really how the second half of this season gets going here. As always, thank you for listening. Hootay! Hootay!